and lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Hi, welcome to Lit with Lloyd. Uh, I am your host, Lloyd Russell, while I adjust my headpiece. There we go. Uh, and to, uh, today, um, our guest is Marie Sutro. Um, and we want to thank uh, KCAT uh, Studios for hosting us. And uh, we are very happy to be here. And I'm very happy to see you again. Uh, it's been a few years since uh, you came to our book club. And uh, we're excited about catching up with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am very happy to be here today. Great despite the traffic. Okay. Uh, I want to, before I start, I want to just want to read the start of my review of the first book in this series. How about a debut novel where you know you will be reading all sequels? Well, that's what you get with Marie Sutro's Dark Associations. So I wrote a whole blog post, but that's how taken I was with book one of the series. And uh, obviously we're going to be talking about... Uh, uh, the sequel coming up uh, that should be here pretty soon. So my first question is, and and we can you don't have to answer it right away because we'll come back to it. But why serial killers? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that. So start by telling us how you came to write Dark Associations, and then we'll we'll follow up with a few questions about that. Sure. Well, I was always a passionate little bibliophile from my <laughs> earliest days. And my mom actually, I, I think she set me on the path. And the reason is, is that when I was a little girl, she had this rule that you, you know, after a certain age, you can't be in bed with mom and dad, you got to go to your own bed. <laughs> so the agreement was, there was a waiver. And the waiver was that if you had a book, you could stay in and read the book while mom read her book before ah, she went to bed. Oh, that's great. So exploiting the loophole, I started out <laughs> with picture books alongside her and eventually graduated on and I fell in love with words and stories. And specifically, um, even though I, I, I will read anything I can get my hands on, I love mysteries and puzzles. And that started out very young with Encyclopedia Brown, where we looked at who stole whose lunch pail, <laughs> and <laughs> graduated up to uh, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, uh -huh. eventually on to uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, and all of her great mysteries. So there was always this love for puzzles. And then uh, my family history played a role. My father had been a police officer in the San Francisco PD. My grandfather had been a police officer and my great-grandfather. Oh my gosh. Yes, so, wow. so definitely a, a big legacy there. And I think growing up with my dad and kind of picking up, you know, there were certain things like, hey, don't give out your phone number to people because, hey, dad might've put someone 
in a place they didn't want to be or testified against someone or did this or that. So there were kind of things that we inherited that we had to be aware of in that way. And then there were other things that kind of came through osmosis, if you will. Um, If you were in a restaurant, even though my dad was this really great personable guy, he was still always aware of what was going on around him. And so there there was just kind of a variety of things in play. And there was a time in my life where I thought, gee, should I go into law enforcement? Because I do love puzzles and I I love to observe things and and extrapolate based on facts. And since anything as small as a paper cut is a big deal to me, (laughs) I figured that wasn't the right way to go. So, uh, So I always wanted to write. And when I got to college, I decided to take the safe route. And instead of pursuing arts, which I loved, uh-huh. I thought about paying my bills. And I went to school, went, f- received a bachelor's for my undergrad in business administration, then went on and got my master's in finance uh. and climbed the corporate ladder. And one day my husband had a job opportunity in a very small town that was gonna take us out of the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And that meant that the nature of the job that I had at the level that I had it would change. So I decided to segue into a consulting role and I still had some time and decided that time is the space for dreams and that dream of writing, it was now, it was now my ship had come in. It was now my chance. So in that little small town, I set to work with my laptop and wrote my first book. Wow. And that was Dark Associations? That was Dark Associations. And it, actually Dark Associations, let me let me be completely honest with you, Lloyd. <laughs> uh, Dark Associations isn't my first book. The first book that I wrote, uh, I kind of wrote for myself. And when I say that, it's because I needed to know, could I sit down beyond anything, you know, a master's thesis or something that I'd done in academia, could I sit down and start at page one and end all the way on the other side of a novel? And so that's what I did. And that probably wasn't my best effort, (laughs) but it proved I could do it. And so I came back uh, on the second effort and Dark Associations was born. And where is the first book? The first book is actually has been revisited lately uh-huh. because I think there's still some good stuff in there. It right. just needs to be, you know, reworked at, at more of a of a popular level <laughs> that's yeah, consumable yeah. to the average person <laughs> instead of just me. Okay, uh, what what led you to write what you wrote about? <laughs> that's you know, I think part of that is. Uh, the family history. Part of that is the love of of puzzles and detective mystery. The other side of it is, you know, people ask me very often, going back to the title, these books are all titled Dark, and there's some pretty heavy topics in them. And I don't shy away from death or murder uh, in the way that some artists do. Uh And I think that's because in general, my observation in life has been, and especially looking at what members of law enforcement and first responders, everyone who's really part of the justice system goes through when they're dealing with these cases, um, it's, it's, 
it's a topic that has a lot of gravitas to it. And there's so much to learn about human beings, what we are, who we are on the light and the dark side uh-huh. that I just, I'm just so fascinated by it. And I think there's so much value to what we can learn and what we can discuss um, as writers and readers out of that material. Wow. Uh, well, I guess you certainly had some family members you could turn to uh, for some some questions and answers. How do you do research for that kind of story? That's, that's another interesting <laughs> question. I, I have to say it does take you to some places that are a little unexpected, um, whether it's crime labs, sheriff's offices, other law enforcement agencies. Um, and even within online and you know digital and, and print research, it takes you places that you don't always want to go. Um, but it's necessary and you do have to get into those rabbit holes because again, authenticity is important to me as a fiction writer. Sometimes I'm going to fictionalize things. Of course, not all stories, you know, not all cases are solved and wrapped up within a short amount of time that, that makes for a good thriller in reality. Uh, so there is some taking license with with the fiction of it uh but i do like it to be as rooted in reality as possible so digging into those locations going touching and feeling things seeing it it's very important to me wow uh what kind of reaction do you get from your readers uh with that kind of subject matter uh, do you have people that say i just can't read it uh, and 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 I'm, I imagine you have a bunch of other responses uh, as well. What, 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 what do you hear? I hear the full range. And it's interesting because within the mystery genre, you kind of go from my work on one side to what's called cozies on the other. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I am a huge cozy fan. I can binge watch Murder, She Wrote like nobody's <laughs> business. Uh, I love the Jessica Fletcher character. Uh, but within that i do still come back to this reality of knowing that when you have a body let's just say when someone has passed away and it's through a violent act that's always strikes me as a as a as an injustice against humanity and it, and, and it's a violation of what i believe human nature is when those types of things are when those kind of acts are committed and it's very hard for me. Maybe one day I'll get to the point where I can write a cozy. But at this point, it's very hard for me to treat someone who's been murdered like a thing, the body, and then go on to eat cupcakes or to, you know, uh, go to a gala event and everything's chummy and happy. Um, that hasn't been my experience, nor has it been much of the experience of folks that I've met in that world. So, uh, like I said, maybe at some point I will graduate on to the point where I can treat it that way. But at this point, I, I feel really compelled to treat it with the honesty that it deserves so that we can, as a society, look at it that way. What, what amazes me is that you obviously have to conjure up in your mind what a serial killer is thinking and and, and and how that person is 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 motivated to do what he or she does. So uh, how how do you how do you engage that kind of mindset? 
that that is a that is a tough one. Again, it, it does take you. This type of writing does does take you to interesting places. I think it comes from empathy, and I think for any writer, no matter what you're writing, you have to have a good deal of empathy. You have to have as much as much empathy for the story and and, and the backstory of where your victims come from and where your where your heroes come from as you do for where your villains come from and being open to people being open to other experiences and understanding how those can shape people and what the possible outcomes are is for me the the best way to kind of get into that zone and understand it you know this is the reason why these interviews are so important because I, when I read the book, and I've, I've also read Dark Obsessions, which we'll talk about in a moment, I'm not thinking about, about what led you to write it or how you're thinking about it. I mean, I'm, I'm asking those questions because that's my job to get those kinds of, of answers for our, our readers, I mean, our listeners. But, but I, I mean, I, I think that's such an interesting reason for why you do what you do. And 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 it, it does it does obviously come from a place of empathy, and I think I think that's just terrific. So okay, not um, that I want anyone to think I have empathy, a lot of empathy for serial killers. I don't. No, it's just no. the human condition, I guess. Is, yeah, is, no, is it doesn't more. come across that way at all. What you just said. Um, how long did it take for you to to write uh, the first one? The first one, the writing of it was about a year. Okay. The second one took a lot longer, and there was a, a lot of living that blossomed in those years. Uh, we we moved twice, uh. and unfortunately, we had some family members who became ill, and those ended up tapering into end of life scenarios, and and so there was just a uh, kind of a lot shoot. going on. And then, yeah. as we were trying to get it out, uh, COVID hits and that creates a whole nother nest of, of problems so uh it was definitely a labor of love with the second one to yeah. just stick with it yeah. you know well that makes sense to me because when i was looking at the uh at my notes from when you came to the book club which was january of 2018 i had a note that this one was supposed to come out later the same year yes so and and then now it's coming out in May 3rd, right? Yes. Oh, uh, no, excuse me, uh, April 26th, which oh, April, is Tuesday. Oh, next Tuesday, mm -hmm. three days. Um, but now I understand why, I, I, you know, you went, you basically got delayed three plus years. Yeah, so it, it's been a process. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's rough. And obviously some of the reasons are not fun at all. No. Uh, okay, um, we'll get to book two in a minute. How did you get book one published? So that story, really my story, has is, is just been a, a bounty of blessings, really, from day one. Um, you know, when you start out on a journey like this, I had, had climbed the corporate ladder and had achieved a, a level of success in what I had done. And so you come to this crossroads and say, well, I, I have this passion, but can I do it? And am I going to be able to do it at the level that I have what I've achieved in the, in the level that of success that I'm used to. Yeah. After you know twenty some odd years of putting time into one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One field, and so I looked at it and I thought, 
do I even want to tell anyone that I'm doing this? <laughs> you know, there's this <laughs> ego side of it of, oh, what if I crash and burn? Is everyone going to laugh at me, everyone in the world? And I, I quickly got over that because I realized I only have one life to live and I'm only going to be here so long. So what's the worst thing that happens? Ah, if people laugh, that's okay. <laughs> if it's the worst thing in the world and it stinks to high heaven, that's okay. But if I try and I put the work in that I put into these other aspects of my life, maybe, just maybe, it'll work. So I started telling people that this is the direction that I was going. And one of the people I told happened to be an editor for a New York Times bestselling author. And from there, I just... I, I've, I've received so many great opportunities. He has been so kind to me, um, just just a wonderful mentor throughout the entire process. Uh, I owe so much to him about, you know, when I talk about my first book, writing it kind of for me, and now what I'm able to do, I understand plotting and pacing uh-huh. in completely different ways than what I understood from even studying it in college. Uh, you know, I, the way that I perceive it, the way that I, I see how do I end each chapter, how do I end each scene, what needs to be there, what are the elements that are required so that someone doesn't say, oh, I'm going to go make dinner, put the book down and yeah. never come back to it, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, there's just been so many great opportunities and I'm so very grateful. Great. Well, did you end up getting a, an agent? Well, what ended up happening was uh, he actually had a publishing firm, so I was able to make that whole thing work. Wow. So I was I was very 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 lucky. Um, I, like I said, that I didn't expect that to happen, but I was very blessed. And I think sometimes that's what it takes, right? You can't always just be good. You have to be good and get a little luck in there, yeah. and, and the kindness of others. Yeah. So okay, well, I'm gonna have to to um, take you to task on. The fact that it was lucky. I mean, yes, you met somebody, and but if the book is not good, nobody's going to take it. So you need to tell yourself, I wrote a good book, and it deserved okay. to be picked up. Because <laughs> thank you, Lloyd. Because I, nobody takes crap. That's a good. I don't point. know if I can say that on the air, but I just did. <laughs> but you so, just did. Yeah. So With my kids, are. I would have said "app cray," but okay. for you know, for adults, I don't have to do that. Well, I think the nature of what I write allows for it, so I think we're good. Okay. I think we're on even footing. So. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, the second book coming out next Tuesday. Yes. Uh, and how, does it differ from the first one very much? And if so, how? It does differ remarkably. Um, the, one of the things that was a, a big goal of mine when I started was I didn't want people to feel like they couldn't just pick this book up if they hadn't necessarily read the first book. Uh-huh. That was one of my big issues yeah, because yeah. that happens to me lots of times. I pick up a book and it says, oh, this is the third or fourth yep. in a series. Well, they don't have the other ones at the bookstore and I'm going to the beach and I just want to yeah, read it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that was the first Smart. challenge, you know, was how do I how do I make this kind of a standalone, even though it's part of Kate's journey and it's in her series. So that was the first thing to address. And you know, you look at how do you tie a series together, and, and and in this case, it's it's really Kate's journey that's tying it together. The first book ends; she has taken on this insidious serial killer. She has trauma from that that needs to be addressed. 
And as part of that process, she realizes there's issues from her childhood that maybe she needs to examine things that she thought she put in the closet, but didn't organize before she just tossed them in there and shut the door. So she goes to Washington State. And I knew that changing the setting was going to create inherent challenges. Uh And when I started, it was supposed to take place in Seattle which was something that I thought was very achievable because Kate's a San Francisco gal and she's used to the hustle bustle. But the more I thought about her story and the fact that there's a very, very important need for introspection and growth, I realized that the best place to do that is out in the woods. And that creates a whole new set of challenges for me as the writer in terms of my perception of of how the how the case is solved, what resources she's going to have. It means I had to create a whole new team around her of people. And it wasn't going to be the type of team that I was used to in San Francisco. This is a team that's going to be brought together in different ways by the nature of it being this remote location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was basically all new characters. I couldn't go back to folks that I had already grown and, and established. Yes, wow. Uh, so there was, there was a lot of, of challenges inherent, but I thought it was valuable because what I wanted for Kate. Yeah, so. wow, okay. I wanna ask you about research and for this book as well. Uh, We gotta take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you to the city of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The city of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. Hi, we are back now with Marie Sutro. Uh, We're in the middle of talking about her newest book, which comes out Tuesday. Ready for it. Uh, So when we stopped, you were talking about a whole different challenge, you know, taking your protagonist, uh, Katie Barnes, and taking her out of San Francisco and into a remote area of Washington State. How did you research? Did you go to the area that you ultimately put in the book? So it was funny. Uh, like you said, Lloyd, that was another challenge. I had been to Seattle and I had been to Bellevue, and there are some, some small scenes in those locations, but the majority of it does take place on the Olympic Peninsula. So for, for folks who don't know, it's, it's across the Puget Sound from Seattle, or across the Strait from Vancouver Island. So I had, I'd sailed by it many times, either on the Strait or in the Sound, but I really didn't know much about it. And because authenticity matters to me, I. I pushed through about halfway through the book and still was just completely relying on digital and print research. But the entire time the voice was in the back of my head, you don't really know if that's true. (laughs) What if that isn't really the case? Did you really get the, the, the taste of the air? Did you really get the feel of the wind on your skin? No, you didn't, you need to go. So about halfway in, I went up on a solo trip and I wanted it to be solo because I didn't want any distractions. I wanted to feel everything that, that, that meant 
I was in the Olympic Peninsula. And so I, I plotted out a map and I had my little journey based on my scenes and everything I wanted to verify. And it turned out to be one of the best trips of my life. Oh, wow. Absolutely spectacular. I, I stayed in Port Angeles at a really nice resort, more of a traditional resort. But then I also stayed out on the Macaw tribal lands at the Hobuk Resort, which was fantastic. It's, it's a series of tiny cabins that are literally just lined up right there perched on the Pacific Ocean. <gasps> and it's absolutely fantastic. And you can literally see Cape Flattery, uh, which is the, uh, the northwest point of the contiguous United States there. And it was, I cannot tell you how magical it was. It, it was, it was amazing. And I, I hiked all the trails and I, I really did everything that, that Kate does and, and went the places that, that she went. And like I said, it, it, there was such a growth journey for me. And I have to share this story with you, Lloyd. <laughs> so I go up there and I'm thinking I'm going to check things off my list and I'm going to be a good researcher. And after I got over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge and I'm driving up in, all of a sudden I had this very weird Twilight Zone moment where I don't know, I, I felt that Rod was going to come out and I'd hear his voice. Whoa. I kept thinking that I, don't ask me why, <laughs> I kept thinking that I was going to, like something was going to happen in my car and I was going to get pulled into this small town and I wouldn't, Twilight Zone, style. I wouldn't see that the sign said Eagle's Nest, my fictional town, right? <laughs> and I'd get in there or they'd tow me in and I'd be at a diner and someone named Kate, they'd call up her order, right? <laughs> I really, I, it sounds bizarre, but I felt like she was there. Oh, wow. Like, you know when you go on a trip and you're going to visit family or friends in a town you've never been, but you know that there's, you know something's there, you know this connection and you know it's about to feel like home. And I felt that the whole time because I felt like Kate because I'd been living with her for a wow. while, being there, yeah. so it was it was really spectacular. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, okay, uh, is you? We're going to get back to the book that's in your drawer. Will book three be in the same series? Book three will be in the same series. Originally, I had conceived it as a three book series, ah. but the more that I've dug into Kate and who she is. It's, she's a character that just has so much, I mean, she has legs to her, and there's so many places to go. So uh, it may end up being more than three books. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you, by the way, for getting me the, the early oh. edition so I could read it ahead of time. It certainly is just good like number one was. Uh, I'm strongly encouraging everybody to read both, and if you've already read one, then get number two. Uh, okay, will will book three be back in San Francisco, or will it possibly be in another area where you have to create an entire new set of characters? Uh, in in <laughs> three, um, I think when people read two, they're going to have a sense for where three is going, uh, whether it stays in the locale that is hinted at the end of three uh, of two, uh, or whether it's only whether that's the only location. Uh, everyone will find out. <laughs> okay. So we'll leave that as an as, as an exciting turn because, as you can see from my covers, uh, the first cover had San Francisco as the background. This one, if you look carefully, you can see it's Seattle in the background. Uh -huh, yeah. So uh, so we'll see when the cover reveal comes out. Everyone will get a. <laughs> sense for what oh, it's going to be. That sounds great. Do you have any sense of timing for 
when you're going to be finishing it and getting it even out there? I'm actually in the process of writing it right now. Okay. Okay. So and 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 it's really fun because you know when you're when you're releasing a book, you end up doing a lot of fun things like this. Uh, but then you have to go home at one in the morning and say, oh, I better try and get some work done, get some words done, get some words logged in. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can get it out within the next year or so. Uh-huh. Uh, but after COVID, I just don't know that I ever want to prognosticate about anything. Because <laughs> that was, that was a, a big wrench in the, in, in the works. Yeah, so. fair enough. Uh, all right, let's go back to book one, not dark associations but book one um, you you hinted at that you might be ready to take a look at it again what kind of genre is it it is not crime thriller it is what I would call suspense mystery okay um, suspense features far more heavily in it there is uh, if there's law enforcement it's periphery the main character has nothing to do with law enforcement Got it. and the nature of law enforcement. It's definitely not police procedural in any way, shape or form. Okay. All right. Do you think that you might actually work on it and see if you can get it published? I we do. Hope, we hope. I do. I do. And I, <laughs> it was, it was a fun story and the, and the core of the story is very good story. And now I, I actually dusted it off about six months ago for the first time. And I, I started looking through it and it, it seeded all these new ideas for me that I had never seen when I actually wrote it. So I'm very excited at the prospect of jumping back in and maybe reworking it in different ways that I've never knew possible, you know, and I'm, I'm very excited actually oh, about that. that. That sounds great. I mean, uh, we, we all know many authors or know of many authors who had a book or two that, you know, they had stashed away and then came out with it after they were successful. Uh, Harlan Coben certainly did that uh, with his first two books, I believe. Uh, and you are obviously a successful author. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that everybody will be really happy to not only get book three, but also get book 1A. Yeah, 1A. <laughs> I like that. I, it, I might have to work 1A into the title some way. <laughs> Maybe the subtitle, 1A. I like that. That sounds great. All right, so tell us about how you go about writing. Do you have a schedule? Do you make yourself write for a certain amount of hours a day or a certain amount of words? How do you do it? It's usually, uh, I try to, everyone in the industry usually is is, is very keyed into the concept of, of word count. And for me, I still have this, I don't know if it's a holdover from grammar school, when they said, write an essay that's a page long, I still, <laughs> pages matter to me. Um, and, and I've got great software that, that tracks all of these things. But for some reason, I just have this sense of accomplishment when I can scroll through and see pages. Uh, so, so yes, I'm, I'm conscious of word count and I, I, I do keep that as a goal and I track towards that. But for me, really the bang for buck where I feel important is when I see pages. <laughs> uh, and it's a, it's a mix of of the writing. I, I tend to um, I tend to write chapters, and then as I'm continuing to write subsequent chapters, my writing day consists of maybe going back to earlier chapters, and part of it will be you know taking another pass, taking another look, seeing if there's you know consistency in the plot lines, consistency in the fact bases, and 
you know, making it all work that way. As far as the way that I write, I'm a laptop writer. I do not write longhand like <laughs> I used to when I was younger. Um, I, I the, the, the carpal tunnel now is becoming a little bit of an issue. So I don't even think I could write longhand yeah, if yeah. I wanted to. Uh, but I, I've changed a lot from book one to book two. In book one, I literally had to sit at my dining room table with my patio sliders open and listen to the birds and, and have this muse accompanying me. With book two, because I was, you know, launching, getting ready to launch another book and I was doing all these other things, I started becoming much more open to where I would write. And so if it was at a Starbucks or even within my home, all these different places. And so there were times where I probably shouldn't share this. It's it's very sad, but depending on how long I've been writing or just what my day is, I have this big leather chair. And so sometimes I'll be in the leather chair with my legs up over the side and the laptop. And <laughs> you wonder why there's carpal tunnel, right? Uh, in all sorts of positions. So I've, I've really become much more versatile and much more open to how I write and where I write. Uh, the uh, the author that, that we spoke to a little bit earlier today, she wrote a book without her family knowing in the laundry room, and she still writes her books in the laundry room, and she's written 39 books. So I think probably every author has a place. You know, it might be a standard place, you know, like a desk in a, in a little office somewhere, but everybody's got a place where they're going to be the most comfortable writing. Yes. Yes. It makes perfect sense. And and it's funny how that can change or stay the same, yeah, depending yeah, on yeah. who you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, now, um, I understand that you belong to a group called Sisters in Crime. Can you explain that? Is it national? Is it and with a local chapter? How does it work? It's an international organization. Ah, okay. uh, there's chapters in Canada and Australia, uh, all, all sorts of great places. And it's a, it's a wonderful organization. It was founded back in the time when you didn't have many female voices in the crime genre when it was predominantly mm. male voices. Mm -hmm. And it, it rose up and, and, and gave these opportunities that were incredible uh, so that now when you walk into a bookstore or you scroll through an Amazon uh, page, you can find so many diverse voices. And the organization really prides itself on encouraging diverse voices. So it's not just limited to female voices anymore. It's encouraging everyone oh, wow. to have a seat at the table. And it's been a, a really, really wonderful organization. I'm very proud to be a part of it. I served on the board of one of my local chapters recently, and I always love to volunteer with them. They provide educational resources, networking resources. Uh, they're very supportive of where you are in your writing journey, and it's, it, 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 I just can't say enough great things about them. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, do you have regular meetings? Um I assume Zoom or are you back in person? <laughs> yeah, we've we've transitioned over to Zoom and it's it's really great because there's so many opportunities you were talking about the the setup. So it is there's the the what we call the the national organization 
even though you know it's got hands with international pieces as well um, and then there's the local chapter so lots of times you can attend meetings now because of zoom in South Carolina or in Montana and so it's it's really wonderful how many opportunities have opened up out of this pandemic yeah yeah that's great okay all right two more quick questions have you had any interest from uh, a movie or TV studio about about making a movie out of uh, or a series out of your books I was talking to someone at one point about it uh, and it was kind of preliminary conversations and I would absolutely adore if that ever happened. Uh, and that's kind of the, the fun part, like I said about Kate, because she does have legs to her. Uh, yeah. I would love to see all of that come to life because when I write, I have an eye towards, you know, I, I try to write with a director's eye. So I see things in a cinematic way in my head uh -huh. and I'm trying to translate that onto the page. So if there was a way then to take it back and bring it up onto the screen, that would be amazing for me. Well, with all the authors we've talked to over the years, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Um, we had a uh, an author whose children were stolen by her ex-husband who was Greek and took them to Greece. And the movie and the story was about how she got them back. Um, and Lifetime just made a movie out of it. Outstanding. So it does happen. And Oprah also, um, from an author we had way back in 2014, um, she wrote a book called Queen Sugar, and Oprah bought it, made a series out of it. And that one has legs. It's four or five seasons in. So we know that it does happen. Uh, and I, I, would, I would be thrilled to see it happen for you. Thank you, Lloyd. Uh, all right, we're gonna we're gonna kind of put this uh, uh, on hold because we're gonna do a little bit of trivia to uh, to to end our session. So, uh, and and I'm not going to be questioning you, so don't worry. I've been looking forward to this point. Like I said, this is one of my favorite parts of your show, so I can't wait to see what you come up with. All right, uh, we've got uh, what do we got today? Um, the Encyclopedia Britannica was the first English language encyclopedia published, and it was done in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1771. Ooh. I would have never thought that it was that old. 1771. 1771, the Encyclopedia Britannica. Five years before we were founded. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and in Scotland. And in Scotland, And I would yeah. have assumed Merry Old sure. England proper, not just, you know, the larger empire. Yeah, so interesting, yeah. okay. Yeah, I thought that was good. Mm -hmm. um, the Diary of Anne Frank has sold over 25 million copies and has been translated into 50 languages. That is wonderful. Isn't that? Absolutely. I mean, that, that kind of piggybacks on what you were even talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a little bit convoluted, but I'm just going to read it because I'll mess it up if I try to paraphrase. The first paperback was published in 1845. The Copyright Act of 1891 banned reprinting of English titles in paperback books. In 1936, Alan Lane's Penguin Press, I'm assuming that's the forerunner, mm -hmm. an English publishing house started printing paperbacks again. As of 1980, and I'm sure it's even greater now, paperbacks made up close to 70% of all books. 
And wouldn't you think now that it's even a higher percentage? Absolutely. I wonder if that was part of Victorian backlash, because I know some of those stories uh. were getting a little scandalous. So I wonder if there was some sort of social backlash to that that would have precipitated that move. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, unless you come across it, you never, know. never even think about wondering why. Yeah. Okay, that will do that for now. Uh, okay, uh, is there anything uh, else you want to add before we uh, sign off? Just that the book is coming out on Tuesday, and anyone who's interested can go to any of the major booksellers for it, uh, or if they want to learn more about me and what I'm working on, they can go to mariesutro.com. Fantastic. That's a great plug, and I'm glad you said it. All right, people, we're done for now. Uh, and uh, want to thank Marie for coming down today. Uh, turns out it wasn't as easy as it could have been. Uh, and uh, we always want to thank KCAT for, uh, for hosting us. So we'll see you next time. Take care. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio. Thank you.